once you start exposing yourself to what kind of beyond what you know today, then you can start seeing bigger possibilities. And it's also about believing that you have the right to the same level of success as anyone else. Welcome to Ultra Habits. Here, we go under the hood with our guests to unpack the minutiae and to understand what processes and systems they engage or research that result in ultra-enhanced living. You have the technical skills, the education, formal training, and even experience doing what you know best. But what about your soft skills? While your technical skills may get your foot in the door, your people skills are what will open most of the doors for your leadership success. Thanks, folks, for joining us on another week of Ultra Habits, and we are joined by Sonia Singh. Now, her mission is to help people get unstuck, build confidence in their abilities, and reach that next level of success. A study conducted by Harvard University found that only 15% of success is attributed to technical skills, while a whopping 85% of success comes and stems from well-developed interpersonal skills. By developing key soft skills, you can excel as a leader in your field, problem-solving, motivating others, and achieving high team performance become easier. Now, we all know so many people that are talented. You may and probably are one of them. You're a technical expert, but you keep finding yourself in a struggle when it comes to making that leap into leadership. Talking to Sonia, what we discussed is what got you to the top of your craft within the technical realm, maybe actually keeping you stuck there. And it's all about developing a more rounded approach with your skills in terms of the soft skills, managing stakeholders, the nuance, the stuff that they don't teach you when you are focused on the development of your technical skills. And that's what Sonia Singh has been helping people do. She is a person that grew up as an introvert, grew up in a rather conservative upbringing. She's Punjabi, and she grew up in a household, as she says in our interview, when she left the house, a lot of people didn't even know she existed. She was quiet and shy, and she took a long time. She had her own journey when it came to developing her soft skills and ultimately breaking out of her shell and aligning with who she is now and where she is going and what she is meant to be doing. And she's found a lot of purpose in helping others reach their potential, moving from subject matter expert to leader within their realm. I hope you enjoy this episode. You're going to get a lot out of this. A lot of you that are moving up the ranks from middle management, senior management, and you're looking at that jump into true leadership, steering the ship. You're going to get a lot of this conversation in terms of what it takes and what kind of skills you need to be focused on developing. Anyways, guys, I leave you in the capable hands of Sonia over and out. Peace. Sonia, welcome to the Ultra Habits podcast. This is the first time I've had another sing on the show. So I'm really, truly stoked. Uh, it's sing squared today, as I said. <laughs> I'm surprised that I'm the first thing that you've had on, uh, but that's awesome. 
Yeah, I've had some relatives that wanted to get on, but I wasn't, I was a bit concerned that they really wouldn't have a lot to say. So <laughs> nice, nice. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I, I really like and uh, value your work. I, I think it's quite relevant, the leadership piece and how do people position from subject matter expertise to a place where they can actually exert real influence. And I think that's a challenge that all really good functional people in their careers at some point face. And it's a pivotal moment, I think, in everyone's career. And I think you supporting that process is super cool because I think it's needed. Um, We're going to get to that. But before we do, I want to start off with Sonia pre being the, you know, the leadership woman helping executives guide their career. I want to go back like way back. And um, there was an interesting post I saw on LinkedIn uh, with your father. And the gist of the post was around luck, how, you know, your father had this disposition of being the luckiest man alive. And you thought like he had a leprechaun in his pocket, right? Only to kind of learn that the way he viewed life and the frame that he looked at life through was quite unique um, and that he had a very kind of um, grateful disposition and just interested to know from a family of origin perspective, like, you know, what was growing up like, what and how are you shaped by the values of your dad and your parents? Like a lot of first generation, you know, folks out there, we we can all kind of I think we all probably can relate to this. Our parents came to the, the U.S. to to really live that American dream and to to work hard and and build something, build something that they you know and they t- they took that full advantage of that and, and really made sure that every opportunity that they um, that they had they really um, harnessed and and appreciated. And that's something that my dad from the beginning. I mean, he every opportunity it was like wow, look at this opportunity. Look how lucky I am. It, it wasn't, it, you know, it just the, the way that he just looked at things. And I would be amazed because, you know, to a little kid, I'm looking at it like, wow, he's so lucky. He's getting that job opportunity. He's getting that. And he's wicked, winning the lottery and he's doing all these things. And come to find out, you know, as, as you know, I got older, I realized, oh, it's just the way that he looked at things. Because the same situation, someone else could look at it differently and say, oh, look at all this work that I have to do. Oh, look at all the stuff that I got going on. Uh, But he he, and I was always amazed by his work ethic and his ability to persist and to just keep going, even on the days that he was exhausted. Um, My dad used to work overtime. He He was a manual laborer and he would work overtime every month for 30 years he worked every every month for uh, for one entire weekend they'd work overtime and he'd work like 20 hours straight and and those weeks he'd you know he'd make like double time and you know it, it was something that he was very proud of and and I remember he'd show me the checks and he'd sit down with me and show me like oh this is this is what I earned this week you know from working overtime and I'd be like oh my god that's a lot of money dad and <laughs> and, and I'd be like 20 hours. How do you, aren't you tired? Aren't you exhausted? And, and I don't know. I mean, I've never asked him now, but I'd always be like, aren't you tired? And he'd be like, Nope, I'm not tired. I'm excited. I'm, and it always, I always wondered, like, is it true that he's not tired or is he telling himself he's not tired? And then that's how he shows up. It's like, no, I am going to tell myself I am not tired. Um, Even if he is tired, maybe 
that's just not the way that he kind of would uh, look at the world. And um, anyway, so that was something that I learned from him. And not to say that I definitely am just like that uh, because I do get tired and and I do you know sometimes fall into the uh, the situation where I might be complaining or. But I do remember that um, it it it's it has a big big. Uh, component of how you look at life and how you look at things, how you look at opportunities for, for those to show up like luck or show up like opportunities. Not everything looks like an opportunity if we're closed off to them. Yeah. And I think the interesting third question there, you know, when you reflected upon why your dad um, had that view or, you know, was he really tired or not? I think that the, the other interesting thing there is, was he trying to teach you a lesson? Like he was, trying to show that the value of hard work and having an embracing perspective when it comes to the opportunity to, to engage in hard work and the value that brings. So I know with my kids, I, you know, I kind of take the opportunity to really emphasize certain lessons through my own experience. And he may have been doing that too, right. Which is <laughs> still sure. really cool. Um, so <clears throat> I think, the other interesting piece, so you kind of, as we know, you, you do work in influence and, and confidence. I'm really interested to understand how growing up in an immigrant household and obviously being um, a child of immigrants, what your relationship was like to confidence. Like, did you struggle with it growing up? Was that why you kind of took interest in that? Like, because I know is 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 um, a child as well of immigrant parents, you know, my level of confidence as a kid growing up was up and down, right? Like you're kind of not white. You don't necessarily look like everyone. However, you know, the U.S. is a multicultural environment, but there's still an impact there. And I'm just really interested to understand, Sonia, your relationship with confidence growing up. Yeah, I, I struggled with confidence for sure. <laughs> for sure. I, I mean, just to put into perspective, I first of all, first generation. Uh, and, and I, we didn't speak English at home, but the first few years of my life, I only, you know, I spoke the language of my, my parents and my background. And I, I didn't speak any English when I started school, even though I grew up in, in America, I didn't speak any English. So I lacked the language skills. I la- I was very, very shy. So very socially awkward. Combine that with, then you just push them to school and you're like, okay, good luck. <laughs> Oh, the confidence isn't going to just come out of nowhere. Right. And so I struggled and actually I was, I struggled in school for a very long time. It wasn't until probably about eighth grade that I, things started clicking. And before that, it was like, I, I I was confused is probably the word to describe me. I was always confused and falling behind. And when you're falling behind and you don't feel competent, it, it really does take a toll on your confidence. Um, that combined with the fact that you don't look like everyone else, of course, you're looking around, you're like, Hey, I'm the only kid. I'm the only Brown kid here. I'm the only, you know, whatever. So you don't see the representation. So you also feel like an oddball. And so you're like, wait, is there something wrong with me? So all of those different, different things. And then the third layer of it, the third layer of complexity is the cultural aspect, the cultural aspect of being a girl in an Indian family in a in a Punjabi family, there was a lot of discouragement from being with friends, discouragement from just being social, putting yourself out there. There was a lot of focus on don't bring shame to the family. Even at a young age, it was like, don't do anything to bring shame on the family. 
And, and to, to be honest, my, a lot of people didn't even know that I existed until I was probably about 18 or 19. And all of a sudden people were like, wait, I didn't know you I didn't know you existed. I mean, they knew my brother and they, they knew my sister, but they didn't know that I existed. They're like, where did you come from? Where'd you come from? <laughs> yeah. So I was the youngest, right? I was youngest and I was just protected. It was like, okay, let's just keep her in this little safe bubble here. Let's not expose her to the world. What does that do to your confidence when you're not out there? You're not exposed. You don't, ha- you don't build the social skills. It, it definitely, definitely impacted my confidence. Yeah, I would say. And the, the reason I wanted to dive into that is because I think it sets the stage where a lot of people think confident people are like, they're kind of born that way. And I, you know, it was a loaded question. Like I understand um, generally the journey, right? Cause, cause uh, you know, I'm, we're very similar in that sense. And, and I understand that a lot of people out there, are like, well, I'm just not a confident person, never have been and never will be. And I think it was really important for you to share that for us. So how did you start to recognize that? And when did you start to recognize that? Like, man, I better get this confident. Like, I, like was, it, was it through you kind of blossoming through your work? Did confidence drive confidence? Like, what was your journey towards becoming a more confident Sonia? Yeah, well, first of all, I think that we're all born with confidence. We're all born with a certain level of confidence. But what happens is we end up picking up things from sometimes well-meaning adults, things in our environment that brings down our confidence. So if you look at little children, they're confident. They're out there doing things, (laughs) experimenting, making mistakes, laughing at themselves. They're so confident. But then at some point, they start becoming aware of their surroundings and what people are thinking and they start doubting themselves and that, that lack of confidence starts kind of seeping in and um, it it changes who they, they end up becoming. Uh, So part of it is not just building confidence, but getting back the confidence that we already had. It's like unlearning the things that we learned over the years, unlearning those things to bring out the confidence that already is there. It's, it's there somewhere. And, and in my experience, mo- most of the people that I work with anyway, it's not that they don't have any confidence at all. It, there's there's a certain baseline. And and sometimes like one day they'll go backwards a little bit. Sometimes they, they're like extra confident because something maybe went really well at work. And then it goes back again. So it's this, it, it goes up and down. So it's not something that just stays status quo or stays the same. Uh, but, but we rely so much on external factors for our confidence. And so when anything changes in our environment, it can really negatively impact or sometimes positively, but it's temporary, right? It's like, oh, I got that job promotion. Okay, I'm going to feel really great for a couple of weeks. And then conference goes down again because now I don't know what I'm doing in this new job. So you're constantly going up and down, up and down, up and down. And so what I teach people is, well, first of all, you have to get back that internal confidence, the your self-knowing. The, the the confidence in who you are, in knowing who you are, what's important to you, what your values are, what your strengths are, just really knowing who you are gives you a sense of clarity. And that clarity is what gives you confidence. A lot of times when we're not confident, it's because we don't know. We don't know who we are. We don't know what we're good at. We don't know what where we struggle. We don't have that self-awareness. So one is getting really aware, getting self-aware on who you are, what's important to you, what matters most, 
And what is it about you that you love about yourself? What is it? If you get really clear on those things, then you start off with this baseline confidence. And then when those external accomplishments happen, and sure, of course, then, you know, we can always bump it up and your confidence goes up and, and, you know, you can raise your confidence. So, um, so that's kind of the first part, but for me, I I think it, it didn't happen overnight. It certainly took time, but the first, I would say first step was to be quite honest. I had to separate myself from the world as I knew it. I had to separate myself um, physically. I mean, physically going, moving away, being away from all the people, the environments that I was used to, putting myself in really unknown territory where it's like, I don't know these people. They don't know me. I could be whoever I want. Mm, that's and, an interesting uh, one. Reinvention. Reinvention. Yeah. It was, it was, some of it was that. It's like, nobody knows who I am. I can be whoever I want to be. And, and then it's like, okay, you're still you, but it's, you're bringing out certain aspects of, of your personality or yourself that you may not have shown other people because it wasn't accepted or it wasn't expected of you. You know, so often the people in our lives, they tell us from early on, they tell us who they believe we should be. And so we accept that as, as fact and we go on. And I mean, my parents told me you're either going to be a doctor or you're going to be a healthcare administrator. Those were my options. <laughs> that was it. There was nothing in between. I mean, nothing. My dad would not entertain anything else. Why a healthcare administrator? That's a bit weird. Like why? <laughs> like that's like, you know, like I was a doctor or lawyer, but he's went from doctor to, okay, then you, what's acceptable as a healthcare Yeah, administrator? I don't know what it was. I think they wanted just me to be in healthcare. It was, they just wanted someone to in the family to be in healthcare. And it was like, okay, if you're not going to be in clinical, then at least be a manager of, of, you know, the, you know, the hot, the healthcare system or, you know, whatever. So those were my two options. And I picked healthcare administration. That's, that's what I went into. Ended up getting a, a master's degree in it. You know, I went up, you know, that's what I ended up doing. Uh, but then I took the full, I came right back around to many years later, I came back around to what I love doing. So it's like, even though I went, I took this detour and did the things that were expected of me, I came back around and now I am doing exactly what I was meant to do. Regardless of the degree that I got, or I, I still was able to leverage those skills, those experiences and bring it back to now where I am um, and doing what I love. What's your view, Sonia, on the comment, fake it till you make it, particularly around confidence? I think that I, I get what the meaning is behind it. And I, I do actually think there's a lot of truth to that. I think there, it, it, it is very useful. However, I don't like the word fake because it makes it seem like, you know, you're putting on this mask, you're, it, you're not being genuine. So I think what it really, what it means to me is taking action before you feel fully confident, showing up, even when you don't feel confident, it's like, okay, I have a, a presentation to give. I really don't want to speak in public. I'm not confident, but I'm going to show up and do it anyway. I'm not going to call in sick. It might be easier for me to say, you know what? I'm just not going to, I'm just going to cancel. I'm just not going to show up. Or, you know, I, I have to go to this party or this event and I don't feel confident. I don't want to show. I'm going to call in sick. I'm just going to say, I, I have something else to do. I'm just not going to go. It's saying, no, I'm going to fake it. Meaning I'm just going to go. I'm going to show up because showing up is half the battle. You show up, you take the action and the confidence starts following. Now, the dilemma that subject matter experts, I think, have, and you would know this better than myself, is when you develop a career on the back of competence within your craft 
and you kind of build yourself and your identity around, I'm a very good engineer. I'm a very good doctor. I'm very good at a particular tangible craft. How does this individual then pivot from their confidence that stems from their craft to then something that is more abstract where they need to now influence people? So translating that confidence from I'm really good at being on the tools, (laughs) which is one thing, to then this kind of abstract piece of, okay, now I'm going to be um, confident in being a leader. And I know technical people can struggle with things that are a bit abstract and they're not tangible for them. It's like airy fairy, right? Like, and I know they struggle with concepts like that. How do you start to shift that mindset from being on the tools to then starting to become a leader? Because I I reference something that was on your website, a a HBR or sorry, a, 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 um, a study from the Harvard university found that only 15% of success is attributed to technical skills, while a whopping 85% of success stems from well-developed influence and people skills. So I think it's important to kind of start to unpack this. Yes. So this is exactly why I do what I do, because a lot of people, including my well-meaning parents, they believe that if you just put your head down, do the work, work hard, get the the, the technical training and do your job, you'll be successful, which yes, to a certain extent, but if you want to go beyond that technical expertise, you want to go beyond that, you want to be able to influence more people, you want to really be seen as a leader, then you also have to develop these other skills that are outside of you and they're outside of that technical expertise, right? So a leader is someone who can inspire and instill others, you know, instill confidence in others so that they can take action. So it's not just about you being really good at your job, but if you want to be a leader, you have to start developing other people. You have to start inspiring other people. And you can't do that through your technical expertise. You got to do that through your people skills. You got to do that through your ability to empathize with them, listen to them, understand their needs, understand what their strengths are, understand their areas of opportunity, Talk to them in a way that you inspire them and you connect with them, that you motivate them to, to go forward, that you're you're developing them. And these are very different types of skills than a lot of uh, these technical experts, you know, that they that they naturally have or that they have been that they've gone to school for. Uh, so I actually I do coach lots of engineers. So, you know, one of my different, um, you know, I have different types of clients, but engineers, I get engineers who come to me because they're great at the technical aspect of their of their work and they've gotten they've gotten success I mean they're doing well but they're they've hit this this maximum the ceiling in their careers and they're not progressing and they're really frustrated they're like I, we want to be seen as leaders we want to move on or we want to do something else but they're so stuck in this limited reality of what they have in their you know what they see in front of them and so what i have them do is step outside of who they are right now and step into this new role as a leader. Okay. You don't have that job title yet. Before you actually have that title, you should be leading. So instead of waiting for someone to give you permission to give you that title, because a lot of people wait, they're like, Oh, well, I don't, once they give me that title of manager, then I'll have the authority to tell people what to do. No, that's being a manager. We're talking about leadership here. Leadership does not require you to have a title. A title may give you a platform to practice your leadership, 
But true leadership is, is something we all have the ability to practice. So, so that is what I help people see. It's okay. What got you here isn't going to get you there. So if you, so for one is getting really clear on your intention. What do you want for yourself? If you're happy with where you are, great. But if you're not and you want to be a leader, why do you want to be a leader? What's the, what's the real reason here? That's actually my next question is when you start to unpack why people want to be a leader, is it generally they're, they're kind of tired of being on the tools? Is it earning capacity or they think it looks cool? They watch these Winston Churchill, Richard Branson videos. Like, do you often find that they don't necessarily want what they think they want. Like, what's your view on that? Hey guys, it is RJ here and wanted to quickly take a break to say that I am so stoked that you have continued to support the show. Now, a lot of you moved from audio to YouTube. Some of you that were on YouTube have moved to audio. It does not matter. Your support is helping us cut through all that damn noise. We really appreciate everything you've done to support us thus far, and we hope that we continue to bring you game-changing insights and information. Now back to our guest. Enjoy the rest of this episode. Yes, I think there's it's a mixed bag. So I think some people don't necessarily understand what, what it is that they're wanting. And because they're not clear on that, they're going after something that it's not going to come to them because they're not aligned with what they're not um, attracting because they're not, they're not actually going after the thing that they want. Um, So being a leader, you know, and someone who's maybe looking for a promotion, they're looking for, they're in a technical role. Now they want to go into management. That is a completely different set of skills. So you might have maybe 20% of your technical skills. You might have to then transfer over and continue, you know, as as you're, as a manager, but then 80% of your job, is managing, is managing people, managing people skills, resolving conflict, developing people, moving, really overseeing their performance. So it's not about your performance. Your performance is based on their performance. That is a very different set of skills. And so I think for for the folks that I work with, half of them, it's that they're frustrated with their earning capacity. That's one. But the main thing really is they're frustrated because their voice isn't being heard. They're limited to what impact they can make in the organization. So they're like, I have these great ideas, but I'm limited to this job here. And nobody outside of this, my higher level, my leaders, my executives, they don't want to hear what I have to say because I'm just this. I'm just, you know, the expert in this area, but I have ideas beyond this. And so they're not taken seriously. And that's really what most people are that I work with are looking for. They're looking for, they want to make a bigger impact than what they're making right now. But when they come to me, they're saying, oh, I'm getting passed up for promotions. I want to make more money. I want this job title. Those usually are not the main driver. The main driver is they want to make a bigger impact. Do you find, just speaking openly and frankly, that cultural and gender elements play a limiting factor, not necessarily on like from a discriminator, like discrimination perspective, but like just going back to your earlier story and your personal struggles, you moved through that. Would you find that of your, a lot of your clients are still holding the baggage of cultural or uh, member, maybe even kind of um, 
you know, gender issues. Yet yesterday I had uh, a woman on the podcast who was one of the highest ranking women in the U.S. Coast Guard. And she was able to move through those um, self-limitations that women tend to put on themselves when asking for stuff, partly because she was raised with boys. She was the oldest girl in a house full of three brothers. So she just knew how to manage herself around males. So in that way, she was lucky. But I guess in the context of your clients, how much of it is real cultural conditioning and kind of the need for them to be able to move beyond that? Like, I guess what I'm saying is, have you ever had a client that's all like a, a white male? And is their challenges different than, let's say, someone that might be an Indian male or an ethnic um, woman? Yes, I think I think definitely there there is a huge cultural aspect on how culture influences us at each gender and, and even within each gender, you know, the, all the different ways that society perceives us and the way that we grow up and the, the things that we the messages that we hear, what we believe is possible for us, what's acceptable. All those things definitely influence who we end up becoming and who what we end up believing about ourselves and what we end up believing about the world. And so uh, through my own research and just through my own experience, the, the clients that I work with, so majority of my clients are women and people of color. So, so women, which includes everyone, um, and then people of color. So the men that I typically work with are either Indian or they have, or they're, they have some type of other background, um, but they are considered, you know, they, they consider themselves a person of color. Um, and I believe that the reason that these are the folks that come work with me is because there's a commonality where, you know, we, we've had some, maybe some similar struggles or some similar situations, cultural upbringings where like, for example, the, a lot of the Indian men that I work with, it's, it's the same thing that I remember growing up with work hard, do good in school there. Don't worry about the social aspect. I mean, my, that was my dad's whole thing. It was like, no, you're not joining any clubs. You're not playing any sports school grades. That's it. That's all I care about. And math and science. Those were the only two subjects he cared about. (laughs) I mean, I, I used to, I used to like, you know, get great grades in art and English and, you know, those kinds of things. And he's like, yeah, I don't care about those. (laughs) He's like, you know, I don't care about those math and science are the only two subjects that matter in life. That's it. And, um, and the social aspect, he was like, yeah, that's ridiculous. That's there's, you know, friends, you got to limit your friends. You know, you don't need to have friends, just do good in school and you'll, you'll be successful in life. And I think a lot of, a lot of, um, folks that come from an Indian background have, uh, immigrant parents. I think a lot of them, you know, we, we hold, these are the beliefs that were shared with us. And so we believe this to be true. And I found in my experience that that is what was keeping me back. That was what was keeping me back. And so now I'm hearing things that I'm like, oh, I remember when I believed that too, that look at me, I, I have skills that are maybe beyond my peers or beyond someone else, you know, someone else that I'm working with, yet they're getting promoted. I'm, I'm getting passed up. I'm not even being noticed here. I'm being undervalued. What, you know, what, this doesn't make any sense. And I used to be very frustrated and now it's looking back. Oh, I was missing some other skills, though, that I was not, I was completely over overlooking the importance of. And that is how you connect with people, how you communicate, understanding your audience and, and changing your messaging, depending on who you're talking with. If you're speaking to executives, are you talking to 
frontline employees? Are you talking to managers? Who, who are you talking to here? And, and, and what's most important to them? Are you talking to them in a way that um, is inspiring them? Or, or, you know, so, so really figuring out, you know, what's the best way to work with people, resolve conflict, inspire them, collaborate with people. These were all things that I started learning later in life, kind of later on. And I didn't learn it through school. It was through other ways of, of kind of on the job <laughs> learning and just through trial and error, uh, figuring that out. It's interesting. I think particularly with, um, you know, being Indian and I'm Indian, obviously, as well. I think, you know, if you look at India as a country, so populated, uh, so much education. And I think the competitive advantage was to kind of put your head down and do right and study hard. Um, to create, uh, you know, a, a, a country of workers that could go externally into other countries and get residency. So I think the mindset was very much about let's let's get so competent and qualified in a tangible manner that we can then add value to another society. No one's going to see your leadership skills and bring you to Silicon Valley from India, you know what I mean? Because you're a great leader. Does that make sense? So what I what I do find interesting is the amount of Indian CEOs in Silicon Valley. And I've often wondered, like, are these people that have gotten there because like in tech, it requires a CEO that's super technical, or have they found a way to evolve? in the manner that you're talking about. And I would suggest it's probably that, right? Like they found the, uh, like, you know, they found the way to, to move from a technical expert to a true leader. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, obviously I don't, I don't know any of them, but I would imagine that there's a combination of, of kind of mirroring both of those different skill sets. And there's a third aspect. The third aspect that we haven't even touched on is your mindset, your belief system mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. what you believe is possible. So a lot of, of folks that I work with, and, and this is something that I went through myself, y- you can't even sometimes see what's possible beyond what you know. It's like, this is all I know. So I believe that there's a there's a limit or there's, there's certain, you know, there's an edge that I can get to, and that is the edge of my success. And so you don't see anything beyond that. And so once you start exposing yourself to what kind of beyond what you know today, then you can start seeing bigger possibilities. And it's also about believing that you have the right to the same level of success as anyone else. Because that's, that's a big one that a lot of my, my Indian clients, um, you know, come to me with. They, there's this underlying unconscious, just, just subconscious belief that they don't have access to the same level of success as someone else. Yeah. And it's a hierarchical culture as well. I find, you know, particularly when you're talking about like the Indian society as well, right? Like the self-promotion element isn't necessarily there kind of, we live in a, in the Western society, you have to do the work, but you have to promote what you're doing too. And that's an issue for a lot of minorities and women, you know, like, um, that's not an issue for me. Um, but um, I think I was, I, I've had the benefit of, 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 of how I've grown up and, and all that stuff, but I think that's super interesting. And what I'm keen to understand is in your own journey, where was the tipping point and how did you evolve from being in healthcare to really seeing this is your path, Sonia? Great question. So, <laughs> so there was one 
pivotal moment that happened about 15, 14, 15 years ago. So I was in a role position that was a good, it was a very good role. It was a good position and um, prestigious and, you know, making decent, decent money, but I wasn't happy. It, it was, it, I had gotten to a point where it, I was exhausted, mentally drained, physically drained. I just did not want to do it anymore. It was painful <laughs> to keep going into, into the office. And um, I was newly married and my husband was like, just quit. And I was like, what? Like, <laughs> I can't just quit. Like, that's not something that I, like, I can't do that, you know? And my parents were like, no, mortified <laughs> family shame. <laughs> no, my dad was like, no, that's the worst thing you could do. You can't quit. You just bought a house. You just bought, you know, you just got married. You have all these bills. You, there's no way line up another job and then quit. And I was like, but I'm so miserable that I don't even, I can't even like, I can't even look for another job because I'm so miserable. And my husband gave me the permission that I needed. Like I needed someone in my life to tell me it was okay. And he was like, just do it. I'm like, but what if I don't have anything like, he's like, we will figure it out. I don't know what it is, but we will figure it out. And it, I, it took someone else believing in me for me to say, okay, if, if he isn't worried, then why am I so worried? So I quit in two weeks, in two weeks, I had three offers, three job offers. And I, and I went on vacation too. So that first week, I was interviewing. I had a couple, then I went on, I took a trip. And while I was gone, I had a couple interview, a couple job offers that come, came through. I'm like, well, I wasn't expecting this. I thought I'd, <laughs> I thought I'd be off for a couple of weeks, but two weeks went by and I got three job offers. And my husband was like, which one, which one would you go for? If you didn't have to worry about money, if, if like none, nothing that it was just the job that you really wanted to do. And so I, I said, this was the one, you know, I picked the one and he said, well, just do that. Regardless of how much they offer you, that's the one you should do. Because that's the one where I knew I was going to grow the most. Anyway, so I focused on that. And through the negotiation phase, which was really interesting, I, I did not even know what was happening until afterwards. I ended up tripling my income overnight. So uh, they made me the job offer. And, um, I turned it down. <laughs> so I didn't turn it down. I just, I basically said, you know, that's not what I was expecting. And I was, you know, expecting something different. And it wasn't, to be honest, it wasn't that far off from what I was expecting, but they said, okay, we'll work on it. We'll connect with our, you know, with our internal folks and we'll get back to you. The next day they came back and they doubled the offer. I mean, double, not just 20% more, 30%, 50%, doubled the offer. And it completely, I mean, I didn't even think I heard them right because I'm on the phone with the hiring manager. I'm like, Could, can you repeat that? And she had to say it again. And then I got off the phone told my husband, he's like, you must have misheard. And we're telling our family, they're like, you must have misheard. There's no way that's not possible. It was beyond anything that I could have fathomed. It was like, I didn't even think that this was possible in like 20 years. You know what I mean? Like it was that level of like, what? That's triple what I'm making now. Like, how is that possible? And so what it did for me was not only did it take me into a different tax bracket, but beyond that, it was like, holy moly, if, if this is possible, what else is possible that I wasn't even considering before? Mm, it shattered your internal ceiling. It did. And so this wasn't a negotiation ploy on your behalf. Like you were just like, well, and they come back tripling the offer and you're trying to hold it together on the phone. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> play it cool. Play it cool. So you're playing cool. <laughs> yeah. And you know, um, I mean, years later, I, I 
I ended up kind of figuring out like, what did I do? How did that happen? So I did try to dissect it to see, can I replicate it? And I did, I replicated it many, you know, several years later, I replicated it. It wasn't double the offer, but it was significantly also higher. Um, but it, it, the, the method worked. It's just, I didn't try it the first time it was complete accident. It, it was the way that I showed up. It was the way that I communicated. It was, um, there was something there. I, I you know, it's, it's, it, there was some connection that I had with that hiring manager. And, um, once I started that work, uh, I mean, it just opened up so many doors for me that I had never imagined because I never thought I never thought of them before. So what you're saying is you then realized you could create a framework around your experience and help others. Um, at that moment, that was not my intention. At that moment, it was just, oh my gosh, what, what else could I do? It was just about that, right? And so for the next several years, it was just me learning new skills. And I wasn't really trying to teach anyone anything uh, beyond what my work was. Um, it was several years after that, probably, I would say probably about maybe six years or so ago when I started teaching other people. It was just, it just came up. It was my friends, colleagues would come to me and ask me for advice on career advice, negotiation. They'd be like, well, can you help us with this? I'm interviewing for this job. What can I do? And I knew that was something I was really good at. And so I'm like, okay, yeah. So I'd I'd give advice. I'd coach people. I'd I'd help them. I'd mentor them. And that just became like my thing that I was just known for. Oh, she gives really good career advice. She can help you, you know, with your salary negotiation. And, and I was just sharing the framework that, you know, that I used a couple of times before that. And um, that then led into the coaching. And I was like, you know, I really love just connecting with people. I love helping them in this different, this different way. It's completely different. It has nothing to do with my other skill set with like, you know, my background is in healthcare administration. So, you know, management, process improvement, um, you know, I'm, I'm trained in management consulting and all these kind of things, but I had, it was nothing to do with that. It had completely, it had to do with psychology. It had to do with understanding people, communicating in a way that connected with people, showing your value mindset. It was something completely different than what I um, can was focused my career on, you know, for so many years. And from there, I started daydreaming about it. <laughs> I was like, what if I could do this full time? What if like, this is all I did? This would be amazing. Um, but again, it wasn't, you know, it's not realistic. It's like, no, I can't, you know, I don't know what that would look like. My 15 plus years I've been in healthcare. I can't just leave that and start something completely new. And again, you know, those limiting beliefs start seeping back in. It's like, even though you have this breakthrough many years earlier, we fall back into these old patterns. And so my old pattern of, oh gosh, I can't do that. I, you know, the job that I have now, it's like, I'm in these golden handcuffs. Great money. I'm, you know, I got this prestigious job. It's, I have a lot of respect, um, making, you know, making a lot of, um, impact in the company I was at. So there was nothing to complain about. There was like, I should be grateful for the work that I have, right? I'm so lucky for this. And it's like part of that, again, that Indian mentality, like be humble and be appreciative for what you have. Don't ask for too much. But I I wanted more. <laughs> when I say wanted more, not more money or more stuff. It was more, I wanted more fulfillment. I wanted more fulfillment. And um Anyway, it, it was probably about five years ago that I said, you know what? I'm not going to wait for someone to give me permission. I'm just going to start doing it. And then we'll, we'll see if, if someone tells me to stop. Right. So, <laughs> so it's, that's part of like leadership, right. Is just showing up 
taking initiative, doing things before someone gives you the, the permission to do it. So I started coaching people on the job. I would start, I, I started um, really bringing in some leadership development kind of um, aspects into my, my job. I started doing more of it. Um, I would offer, I would volunteer to do things. I would volunteer to mentor people. I would, I would volunteer to go present. I was speaking at various different organizations and companies and all unpaid, but it was giving me an opportunity to develop those skills, get in front of people, help people in a different way. And it had nothing to do with money because I wasn't getting paid, right? But I was behind the scenes building these skills and build, putting these seeds out there. Pretty soon, it's like I still had this full-time job, but I started planting the seeds of, oh, she she's a coach, she's a trainer, she has, you know, so there were people out there that were starting to learn that this is something I could do and not even connecting the dots that I have this other job that, you know, has nothing to do with that. Um, so I did it at the same time and I, and I made it a side, kind of a side gig <laughs> for several years, went through formal training. So I just, I didn't give up my full-time job. I, I just kept going. Um, and, and I made it, I, I built a system that would work. So I'm a planner and, and I put the kind of put the wheels in motion before I quit, before I like walked away, I put the wheels in motion. So 15 years ago, when I walked away, I had less to lose. Right now I have a child, I have an even bigger mortgage. I have like other things, right. That are on the line that I didn't have to worry about before. So at this point, I think, um, where I was at, I, yeah, I could have just walked away, but I wanted to really put something in place first. And, and that's what I did. And, and so during the pandemic is when I retired from my corporate career, walked away, launched my company. Oh, I love that. You backed yourself in. I think it's interesting with COVID in particular, I think a lot of people reevaluated stuff too, right? Like, you know, you kind of time at home, you're really thinking about what you want to do, where you want to be. I've also, I think the, the piece on the guilt around wanting more, is a real thing. I think once you've ticked the survival box on Maslow's hierarchy of needs and you realize that you kind of with the big paychecks and you know, that old adage money doesn't buy you happiness. Once you start to realize and live that it's a really awkward place to be because you feel like you should be grateful. And this is why you worked so hard and you feel those elements of responsibility and what will people say and all that. And it could be a very difficult place to be, but I commend your courage to walk through that because I think it's not easy for a lot of people to do so. And, you know, like everyone always thinks others situation is easier than theirs, but it's not. And you had the courage to do that. And I, I commend you on that. And I think it's now evident that you're actually walking your purpose. And I think that what you're doing in the form of helping people break their own limitations because that's effectively what you're doing. I mean, you can say the existential result is that they're going to get a, a bigger paycheck or they're going to move into leadership. But really what you're doing is you're helping individuals reshape their mindset on what's possible. And that's, that's um, noble work, right? So again, I, I commend you. So as we start to land the plane here, I want to ask you for someone that's going through this process of starting to flex their limitations or their perceived limitations. Like how does someone start to habituate themselves around 
practical and actionable steps around just starting to build that level of confidence? Like what would your kind of advice be to someone that's looking to do that? Well, the first thing I would say is you have to first have awareness. And so first create some, spend some time to pause, reflect. I mean, literally sit down with even just like a little piece of paper and start writing out, writing out what is it that, first of all, where are you right now? Where do you want to be? Just start writing down your thoughts. A lot of times we have so much information up here and we can't organize our thoughts to even know what we want. So putting it down on a piece of paper, making sense of, okay, what is it that you really want for yourself? Start thinking about that. And, and you don't have to be very, you know, it doesn't have to be crystal clear at this point, but just have an idea of, okay, you know what? I, I want something beyond my current job. I want to feel this way. These are the feelings or the emotions I want to experience more of. I want to experience more joy. I want to experience more creativity. I want to feel like I can, you know, uh, own my, my time and I can own my schedule. Like what are those things that you want to experience more of? So getting clarity on that. Another thing I would suggest is getting outside of your current reality. So what do I mean by that? Expanding your network, for example, that's one thing. Start talking to different people, people outside of your, not your, we all have a circle of influence, the people we spend the most time with. If you want something different in your life, you got to start, start spending time with different people. So ask yourself, so for example, for me, when I wanted to be a full-time coach, I started spending time with coaches. I was like, I need to spend time with these people. <laughs> if I want to become one of them, I got to spend time with them, get to know how do coaches think? How do they work? What do they do? Is this really what I want to do? Like I, so I had to be around them being around them helped me then see myself as a coach. A lot of times you, you can't even, you know, you're like, oh, I want this other career or this other path, but you can't imagine it for yourself. It's like, yeah, I want it, but I can't imagine it. Well, you got to start imagining it. How do you start imagining it? You got to place yourself, get in proximity to the people who are already doing it. So being around, surrounding yourself with the right people, expanding your environment. So going to events and going to places where these people hang out, going to places that you can, where you can start seeing possibilities. You're not going to see possibilities sitting at home. Like you just can't. So um, I think those are the, the main things I would say, just put yourself out there, start exploring, start talking to people, seeing what's possible, what's, what's available to you. And, and um, I think that'll give you clarity into what you want for yourself. I think that's super important. So when people talk to me, particularly around uh, fitness and, and health, you know, like I'm a big believer in community and joining a community whose values align with where you aspire to be. Cause ultimately that's how we build values into our identity. And we start to shift our identity through, um, you know, well, we start to shift our identity when we, we start to incorporate new values. And I think when you're in a community that supports those values that you aspire to, what you start to appreciate and aspire to changes as well. And that community also supports your transformation and you start to see yourself eventually as, you know, initially might be, you feel a bit like an imposter, but over time, as you start to engage in those activities, it becomes more congruent to the extent that one day you just realize it's who you are. Right. So, 
Yeah. Well, look, I, I really appreciate you, Sonia. Thank you so much. It's been really good uh, sing squared here, as I, uh, as, I, as I called it when we initially uh, started the conversation. Where could our audience find you, Sonia, and learn more about you? You can head over to my website, soniakasing.com, and visit me there. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. Those are the two main places where you can find me. Thank you so much, Sonia. Thank you. I had fun. Bye-bye.